Good morning, Grace. Those who don't know, I am James. I work here. Uh, it's just I usually work in the other building at 1030. So uh, I'm the youth pastor here at Grace. My name is James Parr. If you don't know me, I don't make it in the service a whole lot. Um, hanging out with junior high and high school kids. Uh, and if you're a student in the room and you don't know me or you haven't seen me for a while, don't forget Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, or Sunday school at 1030 if you come to the 9 o'clock worship service. Um, love to have you both. It's not Greg's fault, by the way, that he had to double-check what passage I mistyped. So if it doesn't get corrected in time for the vine before it gets sent out tomorrow, it's not Mark, it's Matthew. The numbers were right, but once you get the book wrong, it just gets all confusing. So if in the vine tomorrow you have Mark 35 to 38, you're going to get confused. You need to remember that it's Matthew. We caught it before the service, but my notes were wrong also in my sermon notes. I'll try to correct those before they get online, but if it's wrong... Uh, it's a very different passage. It's still God's word, so it's amazing, but it's a different passage. Um, and the two verses that we read, two passages we read this morning, um, both are related to the sermon. I'm not going to draw out how they are, but I hope that you'll see that uh, at some point. Let's go ahead and pray again. Lord, you are king over everything, and we forget that so often. Um, even as your people, we forget that you are king. You're not a tyrant. That is awful. You're not a president where we get to vote you in. You are king. King over all. Lord, help us each day to fall more in love with you, our king. Amen. Well, I love Santa Maria. My wife and I went down to L.A. to see my parents. They'd been on a three-week cruise. Uh, now that they retired, life has gotten tough for them. Uh, <laughs> no, they went with my aunt and uncle um, through the Panama Canal. It's kind of a, something they were been looking forward to for a while. But they were gone for a long time. Couldn't contact them. So we went down to um, eat breakfast and lunch with them. Got a wonderful six hours of traffic on the way down, and we got four-hour trip on the way back. It's two hours and 40 minutes if there's no traffic, um, but I love the drive back into Santa Maria. Uh, when you come in, uh, last night, there were only about half the lights up. I don't know if that's still a time change thing or if there was a blackout somewhere or something, but you come in and you see the lights in the valley, and it's a beautiful thing. I love Santa Maria. I mean, I'll talk about a lot of places. You hear me all the time talk about Navajo. I'm going to Hume again soon. Winter's coming around, and I'm working on about trip number 75 to Hume because I have the best job in the world. Uh, Lopez is where we do kickback. I grew up in Slow for junior high and high school. I love that area. It's a little different, but I love that area. I grew up in L.A. before that, and I love L.A., even the traffic. Well, I never like traffic in the moment, but it doesn't bug me overall. But this is home. It's been home for 16 years, and I love Santa Maria for a lot of reasons. And I mentioned entering the valley and seeing the lights, but you enter the valley in the daytime, and it doesn't matter which direction you come from. It's an incredible view. Whether you're coming from the south or you're coming, approaching 30-bump bridge, even though it doesn't bump anymore because we fixed that, um, or you come in a new way for us. Tiff's school is out at Casmelia now, and driving in from Casmelia, it's just a different take on the city. It is all beautiful. 
I love the schools, which is good. I'm a youth pastor, but Orchid Academy, Pioneer Valley, Lakeview, Fessler, a bunch of other schools I'm not going to name, including a couple that I used to be a rival for, San Luis Obispo Tiger, night, class of 1992. It was weird coach, rooting against my former coaches when I first got to town. It's like, hi, coach. I'll just be quiet. Um, it was different. But I love this place, I love the schools, and I've mentioned this before, there are about 30 of them that we work with, junior high and high school, different school settings, all within about 10 miles of our church. There's a lot more schools than you realize. I love the Northwest, we used to live up there by, across from El Camino, that's where the church was before we built. I miss it up there. I really miss the Saturday morning barbecue that used to line up Broadway all the time until the city got rid of it in 2006, June 26, to be exact. Not that I'm bitter. <laughs> I miss that. You'd walk out, even if you weren't getting food that day, it just would smell like tri-tip everywhere. It was amazing. I love the long-standing Santa Maria versus Orchid versus Old Orchid discussions that get produced and the arguments about it's fun, where does Orchid even exist? There's about 30 answers to that. But it also produces things like, well, it's, it's on Broadway, well, not that Broadway. There's actually two Broadways in town, if you didn't know. One's in Old Orchid, just to make things confusing. Or I'm on Bradley, no, it turned into college. Wait, I don't even know what it is in this section because it's, it's just different. I love that. And speaking of streets, we have our own Judges 12.6 Shibboleth versus Sibboleth moment. You need to look that up if you don't know what I'm talking about. But Sway Road or Suey Road, you know that it's Sway if you've been in town long enough or you've been corrected harshly enough by somebody. That's one of the ways you know if somebody's from Santa Maria or just reading the street sign because S-U-E-Y isn't obviously Sway. Or if you're familiar with the north streets above Main Street, there's like five sections of each of the following streets. Rose, Bunny, Sunset, McElhaney. You don't even know where somebody lives. You'll just know it's on the right line, but there'll be a house in the way because you're on the wrong block. You have to go down a left, over a right, and then back up a right. But you better pick a right because you might bump into another one of those. I don't know who planned that. That's kind of weird. But it's fun. You see people, if you're paying attention, you get, see people get lost in Santa Maria all the time. It's a perfect north, south, east, west grid. And people are clueless as to where they're at. Of course, you all know that north's that way, right? Well, our building's a little weird. It's shifted 45 degrees. So on, it's a little bit of fun. On your way out, without looking, ask everybody around you where Walmart is. You'll get five different answers. They will all be wrong. Nobody knows where they're at in this building. But Santa Maria, it's easy most of the time. We have our five-minute rush hours at Clark and Maine. Might be 15 minutes. Feels like an hour as you're waiting to get off there at certain times of day, but it's not bad. But again, that view. Have you ever noticed when it rains and the hills pop out like it's Ireland or Mount Figueroa pops out of nowhere? You realize, wow, there's snow. <laughs> Sometimes, well, we haven't had it rain until recently long enough. Maybe you don't remember. We're the middle of the Central Coast. 20 minutes to a billion beaches. It doesn't take long to get to Solvang or Santa Barbara or San Luis or anywhere you want to go around here. And in the Central Coast, we're one of the few cities that's actually multi-ethnic, that actually has some diversity. We get so used to it, we don't realize it sometimes. And don't get me wrong, we have a long way to go in terms of those relationships being right. But I love that we are a diverse place. 
or the Parade of Lights. I hate parades, but I love that one. Or the Elks Rodeo. It's a cool feature of our city. The mall even finally has a real theater and a little bit of a mini court, so we don't have to make fun of it anymore, a food court. And I love grace. Messy, spectacular, flawed Grace Santa Maria. I love this place. It's a wonderful big city that still thinks it's a small town. We don't realize how big we are. It's a near-perfect mashup for me of the convenience and diversity of L.A. and the coziness of any place on the Central Coast. I love it. All it's missing is Chick-fil-A, a real bookstore, maybe a AAA baseball team. Here's the thing, though. No matter how much you or I love Santa Maria, God loves it more. God loves this place more than you do and more than I do. And if you hate it, you just need to know God loves it. Now, I don't mean that he loves, you know, L.A. versus San Francisco or like Philly sports teams. I don't mean that. But he loves the city. Jonah 4.11. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? God loved Nineveh. He was concerned with Nineveh. He wasn't okay with Nineveh. That's different. But he had concern for it. Before we really get into walking through the verse, it's just one little verse. It's a great way to wrap up Jonah. But it points out God's heart for the city. It says, for this great city. Before we get into that, just a couple of notes, some translation notes. In regard to God is concerned for this great city. That's our big idea. Pastor Benji makes a big deal out of that. Translation notes, though. NIV moves the question that's at the beginning of the verse to the end of the verse. Probably because they wanted you to, to be remembering that instead of cattle. But, the, but it goes at the beginning. That's where it pops up in, in Hebrew. The e, ESV translate concern, translates concern as pity. So if you're reading ASV, you'll see that. NASB chooses compassion. The NET adds more to the NIV's concerned. We're going to use for the sermon structure, not what I'm going to read. I'm going to read out of NIV. But we're going to use for the structure of the sermon, the NIV's wording, but the original positioning, and I'm cutting the question mark off. It's just a statement. God is concerned for this great city. And he's concerned for the, for the city of Nineveh. We see that in Jonah 4.11. Let me read it again. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? We think of God loving individuals all the time. We might even, as that earlier verse in Revelation mentioned, we might perhaps think of God loving people and nations and tribes but how often do we think about God actually having concern for a city? Especially outside of Jerusalem. We know that one. You read the Bible long enough, you know that God is concerned with Jerusalem. But do we recognize that God concerns himself with the collected groupings of people? Where they gather and where they live. God declares his regard, his concern, for the condemned people of Nineveh. And he references them not just as individuals, but as the, as the city. He's talking to a stubborn man, Jonah. A prophet 
who faithfully eventually spoke the word after unfaithfully running from God. But even when he spoke it, he was grumpy. And God's pointing out, Jonah, you are unconcerned with them, but I have great concern for the city. If you remember the story of Jonah, the prophet hates the people, but at this point of it, he's distraught over a plant. It'd be the equivalent if you were hiking in the hills around us and you saw a field of poppies, California poppies, where you could see the city, and you got grossly over-concerned with one California poppy and completely unconcerned with the people of the valley. That's where Jonah's at. He doesn't care about them. Imagine while you're there dooming the city of Santa Maria to hell. That's his hope. And there's an interesting contrast in the last verse of Jonah between the God who's concerned with the city and the prophet who wants it to die but is concerned with a plant. The people of Nineveh, the objects of God's wrath, are also objects of his great concern. In fact, God is so concerned for this great city that he knows the number of people in it, 120,000. Verse 11, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? He's numbered them, 120,000. And whether it's rounded or an exact number is somewhat immaterial, to be honest. It doesn't really matter if that's only men, like often happen in biblical times when they're accounting a group. Sorry, ladies, you didn't count for numbers, so they just counted the men. It doesn't matter if it's that way. It doesn't matter if it's just adults. It doesn't matter if it's really, you know, 119,993, and he rounds up. God's pointing out he knows the individuals and he knows the masses. Luke 12, 7 points out he knows the number of hairs on our head, even the bald guys, but also those with plenty of hair. Verse 6, right before it says he's concerned even with the sparrow. My favorite, though, is Ezekiel 18, 32, especially in contrast to this. Remember, Nineveh is on the precipice of God's wrath, it, it's there. And not just in that general way that it's facing it, but it is at that moment. But this verse is still true. D granted, it's to Ezekiel in a different moment, but this verse is still true. Verse 32 of chapter 18. For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. And you may think this way, you may have heard somebody who, who doesn't like God, doesn't like your faith, accuse God of this, sometimes we start imagining God because of wrath as enjoying people facing his wrath. And Ezekiel 18.32 should set us straight. He takes no desire in that. There's no pleasure in the death of someone to God. He is not evil and malicious. Jonah, by all means, is. But God is not. Instead, he's concerned with that city and he knows the 120,000 that make up Nineveh and he will take no pleasure in their demise. Even though he's the one that would bring it, 
He takes no, no pleasure in that. 120,000, by the way. If you know Santa Maria, that's a pretty close number to our size. We're actually a little bigger than that. The sign says 100,000. The police will say 120,000 plus. That doesn't count orchids, 30,000. Nor does it count the 20 people that insist they live in old orchid. <laughs> but we're about the same number of people. While the 120,000 in Jonah makes me think of Santa Maria, the next part makes me think of our world. But Nineveh, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. God is so concerned with this great city because it is so confused. It doesn't understand basic, simple facts. You have to ask, is that just figurative? It used to be pretty easy to imagine that as only a figurative statement. It's, an, it's a decor, it's a decorative description. But it didn't mean they actually didn't know their right and their left, and they probably did know their right on their left. But just look at our own culture. We are so messed up, it's not that hard to imagine that it is not just figurative. Think of the things that we get wrong that are so blatant in front of us. My favorite commentary, the Knack or New American Commentary, says it this way. This is by Smith and Page. It's on page 283. Possibly the best understanding of this text is to recognize that the Lord was referring to an entire city of morally and ethically naive, though not morally innocent, individuals. There's no such thing as a morally innocent individual. Not, not a mere human, at least. We're all guilty, but we can be morally and ethically naive. To the point that you could say, we don't know our right hand from our left. And we have become that naive. Our culture, not just Nineveh. They may have been beyond us in many ways, but just look at ours. We don't know our gender anymore. This is pretty easy to know. But we don't. Not when it comes to bathrooms and sports teams and locker rooms even. Our culture honestly doesn't know that anymore. I don't know their right from their left. Life, we're confused when life begins and ends. And so we defend the right for abortion and now recent news, the right to euthanasia. And we even give it different names, death with dignity or we, women's reproductive rights. It's because we're confused. We don't know what to celebrate anymore. We're so confused we don't know what's worth celebrating and what's not worth celebrating. There are now, again, if you're paying attention to the news, there are now uncoupling ceremonies to end in, a, in a marriage. Not a divorce, mind you, but an actual ceremony to return rings and unvow. It's a celebration. And to be honest, Christians were statistically not much better. Our relationships are just as complicated, and relationships, by definition, are not complicated. You either are or you are not in one. It, it's not tough. But lots of Christians are acting married when they aren't. We're living together. We're ignoring what God says about all kinds of things in just as obvious of a confusing way as Nineveh did. Even we don't know our right from our left. 
and we celebrate those things. It is certainly figurative, but perhaps not just figurative. We are that confused, and I don't mean to condemn anyone. But we have to recognize what God says, and we have to repent like Nineveh when we are wrong. And God is greatly concerned over us, just as he was for Nineveh. He's so concerned that he even mentions the cattle. But Nineveh is more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Think about that for a minute. It's almost as if he's, he's saying, if, if I could just lead the cattle out, imagine being in Nineveh and all the cattle go tromping out, and then Jonah ends up happy and you know, God's wrath pours down on the people. Even the cattle would give me pause, but it needs to happen if they won't repent, even if it takes the life of the cattle. And think through biblical history with that. Sodom and Gomorrah happened despite this level of deep concern for God, from God. The concern that even goes to the animals that we eat. The flood happened at the hands of that same God of great concern, and eventually the end times will happen again with the same God of that level of concern that knows the sparrow, that is concerned with the cattle of the city, not just the people. Because it's his creation and he loves it. But this concern does not prevent the displaying of his wrath. And Nineveh is on the precipice of God's wrath. That he is concerned doesn't keep him in his holiness and his justice from doling out punishment. So God is concerned for this great city, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city, Jonah? That's added, but that's the implication. It was true for Nineveh. It's true for every city, I think. It's true for Santa Maria. Too often, we're like Jonah In chapter four, verse one through three, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. Oh God, who relents from sending calamity? You're so awful. You and your compassion thing. Imagine being so mad at God, you vocalize that. And God's big enough to take it. Jonah was still breathing after that moment. But imagine being so confused. You want to know who doesn't know their right from left? Jonah doesn't know his right from left. He's speaking to the God of compassion. The reason that he got puked out of a whale instead of killed. And he's angry about it. Verse three, now, O Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Again, with Nag, quote, Jonah apparently had grown completely indifferent to the fate of God's creation beyond the bounds of Israel, end quote. And we get that way too. We're concerned about our family, our church, about missionaries, those are all good things. But are we also concerned about our neighbors, our city, the population around us? 
We become concerned for a dog, a house, a plant, a political party. But we are often equally but oppositely unconcerned for our neighbor, coworker, classmate, friend, and maybe even family. And worse, like Jonah, perhaps we're even offended that they might enjoy grace because they're so bad. What a tragedy if that's true. And should we talk about how poorly Christians have treated the LGBTQIA community? Not that we agree it's okay. It isn't. We have to stand on God's word. But we also have to treat those who identify as such with concern and not disdain. But Nineveh is more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? God is concerned for this great city and we need to be as well. That is the implication for Jonah. Jonah, how dare you sit on a hill and wish it's doom? We need to have that same concern that God has. We need to view people through God's eyes. We need to have his heart for Santa Maria and beyond. We need to pray. Pray for the city, its people, its neighborhoods, the people that make them up, their spiritual well-being for its people and beyond and not go out and walk the hills around us that are so beautiful and wish curses upon the city. Could you imagine your drive into the city and you pray to God and ask him to doom it to hell? How backwards that would be as ambassadors, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Surely we point out their need. But hopefully it's not with the same heart as Jonah. We need to reach. Reach out to the city and the people around us. This Thanksgiving with Good Sam, if you can, get signed up for that. If you're available and around, you're not leaving the city, and you can help, then please do. If you can't, look for the next time we have a For the City which is our church thing, or serve Santa Maria, which is a bunch of churches in Santa Maria getting together, and try to fit that into your schedule. And if you can't, that's okay. If you can, still do the next thing. Everybody, don't wait for something formal. Just because we haven't planned it doesn't mean you shouldn't connect with those around you. That you shouldn't meet the needs that your neighbors have. And more importantly, that you shouldn't share the gospel. Please share the gospel and not just law. If all you can speak is law, you're an awful ambassador. Our ambassadorship includes reconciliation. Yes, there's a standard. God's wrath is upon you. But you need to hear the hope. Or he wouldn't have sent me. If all they hear is doom from us, we have failed in sharing the gospel. Invite them to church. But I gotta warn you on that one, it's going to get messy. If you invite your neighbors who don't know their right from their left to church, how are they to know church etiquette? You ever thought about that? You've spent however many years in the church. Some of you have grown up in the church. You just know this. It's natural to you. How does somebody who doesn't know that Know that it's your pew. If they've never been here, how do they know that you put a plaque underneath, you snuck here in here in the middle of the, ch- of the night, 
set the alarm off and you slapped it up there and said, this is my pew, nobody else will sit here, at least in my service. How would they know that? How do they know it's your music that they're trampling upon when they ask for something else? How do they know that that's a dumb question and you don't ask that in Sunday school? What are they to do? They have the question, they should ask it. Or how do they know that's the wrong answer until they've heard God's word and had it teach them? They don't know their right from their left. They'll disrupt your time with God. If you, if you let messy people from Santa Maria who need, need God's grace in these doors, it will alter your worship and not in a way that you are happy with. Well, not in a way that's comfortable. Perhaps in a way that you become even more happy with when you see God changing people's lives. They'll use the wrong words and maybe even bad words walking down the hallway Words you never thought would get used in church. They'll have awkward tattoos and they'll wear inappropriate t-shirts and they might even have some immodest outfits until God starts changing their hearts. They'll use their phones and they'll text at all the wrong times and when Pastor Benji's preaching and they'll surf the internet at the wrong time and some of you are really uncomfortable because you're doing that too right now. And they'll get up and they'll go in and out way too much and of course at the wrong time. And again, you do too. I do too. Last Sunday, I was sitting over here in the front and I had to write and send myself an email so I wouldn't forget right in the middle of Pastor Benji's sermon. That was a ministry moment, so it's totally okay. But we do those same things. I debated whether to use this one or, or not, but we need to hear it because it's gonna happen they will use the wrong bathroom someday here at Grace and how are we gonna handle it? I've thought about it a lot for the youth ministries. What do we do when somebody walks in the wrong bathroom? I mean, if I'm in there, the first thing I'm gonna do is make sure I'm in the right bathroom because I've done that on accident before. It's really embarrassing. <laughs> but if I see a new student go into a bathroom and it's empty, I'm hoping it's empty. They go into a bathroom and it's empty, Here's what I'm gonna do, and you have to hear me out. I'm gonna stand guard at the door and not let anybody else in. Because before somebody condemns them to hell, I want them to hear the gospel that might save them from hell. And then I will have the necessary discussion I need to have. I'm not saying we don't have those. But before we respond poorly, we need to respond gracefully. In the meantime, I will praise Jesus for bathroom stalls and no showers at our church to compound the issue. If I had it to, to do over again, building that building, this tells you how quickly it flipped. That's not that old of a building. I'd have had them put in individual bathrooms, multiples of them, instead of two divided gender ones, just so it was a non-issue. Because our society is that confused. Okay, and before all the parents pull their kids out of the youth group, I'm talking about the unpredictable and the new kid, not the predictable or situation that we know somebody and we, we have the ability to disciple them. I'm not talking about what we can, can plan and somebody that knows better. We still divide into guys and girls groups 
and housing stuff will always be divided by gender. So don't get concerned. I know my right from left, even if our culture is completely confused. I'm not saying we tolerate or endorse sin. Don't get me wrong on that either. We don't and we can't. But they will come to us messy. And isn't that the gospel? Come messy and God makes us right. Not get all cleaned up before you show up and then come. It makes us more comfortable. But so often we act the other way. We need to connect with the city, but when we do, it will get uncomfortably messy. It will not be easy. So we need to remember, God is concerned for this great city. And we need to be concerned for this great city. Let's pray. Lord, awesome in majesty, the one who determines our right hand from our left hand, right from wrong. The God of grace that took this great sinner and gave him a place in your kingdom. Lord, keep us enthralled with the gospel. Give us compassion for our neighbors. Lord, give us a heart that wants to see them come to grace. To celebrate the king and they will come messy, but give us the ability to see your eyes, see through your eyes into how you are working in their lives. And may we rejoice when we see all kinds of messy people Celebrate the king with holy lives. Amen.